Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. All right. So, this morning, we are continuing the Lost and Found series, and I want to kick it off by answering a question that's definitely, you know, the elephant in the room, because I'm sure all of you are wondering this at this point. Last week, I stood right here, and I showed you a shirt that I burnt a hole in when, like an idiot, I leaned over an open flame. And here I am a week later wearing the same shirt without a hole in it. And so I'm sure you're thinking, can Mike sew patches on shirts? Is he a seamster? I think that's what it's called, but men sew, seamster. I don't know. But anyways, I am not a seamster. I'm also not magic, if that's the next place your mind went to. It's not that either. Jenny just felt really bad for me because I was sad after I burned my shirt and pulled a muscle in my neck trying to put myself out. And so she got me a new shirt. I was thinking about it, and I realized this whole dumb moment in my life is kind of similar to the story of the prodigal son we talked about last week. Like, I did something reckless. I burned down a new shirt. It was a pretty, pretty wasteful thing to do. And then Jenny gave me a gift that I hadn't really done anything to earn or deserve, which is a little bit extravagant on her part, I think. But if you were here last week, you might remember this. If you weren't, let me catch you up. In one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, there are three main characters, a younger son, an older son, and a father. And we call the younger son the the prodigal because he went out and he wasted his entire fortune partying. But prodigal isn't actually a word that means partier or bad or wicked. It's a word that means wasteful, reckless, or extravagant. And in this story, all three characters are prodigals, each in their own way, but no one is more extravagant or reckless than the father who's willing to go to any length and pay any price to demonstrate his love for his sons. And last week, we kind of zoomed in on the younger son. Next week, you're not going to miss it. We're going to talk about the father. I'm super excited. But today, I want to introduce you to the older son, because I think there are probably a whole lot of us in this room who are a whole lot like him. So you've got a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it over to Luke chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Remember from last week, Jesus is talking here to a fairly unique mix of people. On the one hand, you've got this crowd that Luke calls tax collectors and sinners. And they're people who are far from God. Maybe they're even intentionally running away from God, but God is intentionally chasing them down. Jesus purposefully sought these folks out so that he could spend time with them. And on the other hand, you got these super righteous religious leaders called the Pharisees who were sure to follow like every single rule in the Bible and also hundreds of extra rules they made up just to prove how good they were. And they showed up on the scene and looked at Jesus and they're like, oh, hey man, you cannot be eating and drinking with those people. You're being risky. You're kind of being reckless with, with your reputation and with your responsibility as a religious teacher to like whip them into shape. You got to stop doing this. And in response to that critique, Jesus told them three stories meant to illustrate the outrageous, reckless love of God. And the third one is this parable. It's the story of a father 
and his two sons. And this is what we read in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So he began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a crazy story. And it ends right there. It's a little bit abrupt. Jesus just stops the story. So we don't know whether the older brother ever made it inside or not. But I think we can assume since Jesus made this story up and kind of left it hanging right there, he's implying that many, or many if not most, older brother types never choose to go to the party. I think that's a pretty sobering warning for us. It was for at least half his crowd. Remember, he's talking to this bunch of degenerate sinners. They heard the story and they're like, whew, that younger brother is a lot like me. But he's also talking to these righteous religious leaders who could not have missed the big idea in the story that he was relating the older brother to them. Jesus was saying, this guy is you guys. And what's surprising, it would have been almost scandalous to all the people standing around listening to Jesus tell the stories that he seems to be telling the Pharisees, you are just as lost as them. You are just as far from the heart of God as all of these messed up people are, but you're in a worse space because you don't know it. You don't even know it. You don't realize how far gone you are. And my guess is there are a lot of us sitting in here this morning who are in that spot. We're not really prodigal son types. We've made mistakes, and some of them have been huge, massive mistakes. But as we look back on the story of our lives, we don't have any seasons where we just ran away from God. 
where we intentionally chased after the world and lived wildly. In fact, for most of our lives, we've been pretty good. We got a long track record of being great at rule following. And yet Jesus, in this moment, looks at the rule followers and says, hey, you have a problem. And for those of us who are following the rules, we got to take a step back and say, okay, what might my problem be? And Jesus says that because not everybody who's lost knows that they're lost. And it's one thing to be lost and know it. It's an entirely different thing to be lost and think you're not lost because it's dangerous to you and everybody around you. There's this phrase that you see on bumper stickers sometimes. I've even seen it on a few tattoos. It says, not all who wander are lost. It's a quote from Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. But in this story, Jesus kind of flips that on his head because he wants us to understand not all who are lost know they're wandering. I think most of us know that intuitively because we've experienced the consequences of somebody who's been in that spot. Once when we were in college, Jenny and I went to Chicago for a day to meet up with my best friend from high school and his new girlfriend. We went to a Cubs game, and afterwards, he had grown up in the Chicago area, so he was really excited to take us to his favorite pizza place. So we went to our cars and hopped in, and I started following him and I kept following him. And it was Chicago, it was a ways away. But 90 minutes later, like after we'd pulled over a few times, and he's like, I just made a wrong turn. It's right up here. I, I, I know it. 90 minutes later, we finally pulled into the parking lot. I still think accidentally. <laughs> and it was closed. And at this point, Jenny and I were just hangry. And he looked at us. He's like, oh, I can find us another Aurelio's. I know where another one is. And we looked at each other like, and we told him, ah, we're just, we got to get back to Davenport. We better head out. And so we left and we went to the first restaurant we found because we were so hungry. It was a Burger King, like five blocks away. You all know this. Burger King isn't even good when Burger King is what you want. When you spent an hour and a half, like thinking about deep dish pizza, you can almost almost taste it in your mouth. Burger King might as well be cardboard. It was like the worst meal I've ever had in my life. And I love my friend, but he was lost and he didn't know it. And that did not impress that girl. She dumped him like right after that. I don't know if that's why, but I bet it didn't help. All right. It's just dangerous to not know how lost you are. And on that front, like the prodigals have an advantage. They know they're lost. Everybody knows they're lost. But what about the performers? What about those of us who've been working real hard our entire lives to check every box and get it right 100% of the time? I think for some of us, maybe a lot of us, that's where we land and it's important for us to do a heart check on our motivations because why we do matters more than what we do. Why we do matters more than what we do. And if we have the wrong why, we end up just like the older brother, just like the Pharisees. We're checking all the right boxes, but we are disconnected from relationship with God. And that's a dangerous place to be because the hardest people to find and the hardest people to help are the people who don't know they're lost. But that's the oldest brother in this story. And it's interesting, you can almost immediately see that there's some sort of relational disconnect between him and his father. He's been out in the fields working, grinding, performing, doing his job. And then he gets home and he hears music and the sound of feet on a dance floor, which means there's a party going and it's been going on for a while. And we know that because the dancing is happening. 
don't know if you guys have ever been to a wedding, but if you have, you understand. The dancing doesn't happen right away. Even with a great DJ, it starts by like bobbing your head. And then you stand up, but like by your table, you don't go over there right away. You just kind of get your body into it, maybe in the corner. And then maybe, it takes a long time to get the dance going. So if the dance is going, this party is rocking. And he's like, what's going on? And the most natural, sensical thing to do if you show up to your own house and there's a party inside is to walk inside and ask somebody, hey, what's happening? But he doesn't do that. He finds a servant and sends him to get a report, like what's happening in there. That's a weird thing to do. It's weird that he stays outside, but you know why? He knows. If there's a party this big, if there's music and dancing and the smell of steaks on the grill because they killed the fattened calf, which they didn't do every meal or even every month, that was a big deal back then. If all that's going down and it's so impromptu that no one even told him about it ahead of time, he knows there's only one thing in the world that could have inspired that and it makes him furious. He didn't have a bad day at work. He didn't come home angry. Jesus says he became angry. He became angry at his father and then refused to go inside, which again is evidence of this heart-level disconnection between him and his father. And so his father had to leave a party he was hosting to go out and find him, which in the ancient Near Eastern world would have been absolutely humiliating. But once again, the father shows he's willing to be humiliated in order to chase the hearts of his sons. But notice, like Jesus said, his father had to go out to find him. And this is actually the fourth time in three short stories that Jesus talks about somebody going to look or going to find him. What he wants us to understand is that the older brother is lost. He's just as lost as the one sheep that the shepherd left 99 sheep to hunt down. He's just as lost as the coin that the lady tore her house apart looking for. He's just as lost as the younger brother the father ran out to meet. He is lost. But his father goes out and finds him and invites him into the party and gets rejected. Like in maybe the rudest way possible. When the, when the father addresses him, he says, my son. That's the word we translate. But it's this really intimate term in Greek that means child. Like my child. And instead of addressing him as my father or, or dad or anything, he just gets, look. Look here. Listen up, man. I've been slaving away from you. I've been doing all the work. So why in the world would that guy get what you're giving him. Why would you spend any time on him anymore? He told you he wished you were dead. Why would you spend any money on him? Man, that's my money. Every dollar you spend is a bit of inheritance. I don't get when you die. Why would you give that to him instead of giving it to me? I earned it. I think for all of us performers out there, all of you who are proud of your track record of obedience, who are checking off all the right boxes as much as you can. Listen, I'm right there with you. I have been there all my life striving to get it right. For all of us, there are five red flags here, five symptoms of this disease called older brotheritis that this guy exhibits right here, right now. And each of them can leave us in a space where our good deeds actually cut us off from God rather than connect us to him. And the first one's entitlement. The older son says, you killed the fatted calf for him, but you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Man, I've done everything you ever asked me. You owe me. You owe me the life that I want. You owe me the things that I want. You owe me the blessings that I'm asking for because I performed for you. 
I don't think it's easy for those of us who've lived good lives and who've tried really hard to be who God called us to be, to shift subtly, mentally, emotionally, spiritually into this spot where we feel like God owes us. We feel like, hey, I'm, I'm doing the, the work for you, so you probably should bless me, and you probably should give me a good life, and you probably should answer all of my prayers, and you probably should give me everything that, that I want, because look what I'm doing for you. And really, you know, how could God possibly survive without all that help that you're giving him, right? It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, we, we do this to God, and if you ever find yourself in a spot where you feel like God owes you, you need to do a heart check on your motivations because your good deeds might just be motiva- motivated by the blessings you think you're earning from God. Like, he's some sort of magic genie, and your obedience compels him to grant your wishes. It's not my favorite thing to admit, but I've been there. I've been in that space. I have prayed the prayer. Like, God, here I am. Here I'm slaving away. Here I am doing this soul-crushing, heavy, impossible task of church planning. I'm doing it for you. So I feel like I deserve, like, fill in the blank. Entitlement's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. The second attitude is resentment. It's nuts that the son tells his father he's been slaving for him. It's evidence that he doesn't get it at all, that he doesn't understand the why behind it, that he's missed out on all of the blessings following in the father's footsteps and doing what he's asked can actually bring to his life. Instead, he's living out what I call duty without beauty. I think a lot of us do this with God. We do the right thing because we think we have to without realizing the kind of life that it can bring to us. And we just get this resentfulness inside of us. Like, I don't want to be doing this, but I'm compelled. The great contemplative author and thinker Henry Nouwen once described it like this. He said, my obedient life, of which I am so proud and for which I am so praised, sometimes feels to me like a heavy weight God's laid on my shoulders that continues to oppress me. And then I realize I've turned my service into slavery. And both sons felt like that. Both of them used the word slave to describe their relationship with their father. And all along, the father was inviting them to be sons. And the same thing is true for you and me. God's not inviting us to slavery. He's inviting us to be sons and daughters. We don't have to obey. We get to because it makes us more fully human and more fully alive. It is all about beauty. It's not about duty. The third red flag is comparison. Look at this older son. He's like, oh, look at the, the party that he's getting. This kid told you he wished you were dead. He took a bunch of your money. He spent it partying. And your big idea, dad, your big idea is to then throw him a party. That makes a lot of sense, man. Like, why in the world would you be throwing him this party? Why would you kill the fatted calf for him? Don't I deserve that? Instead, I can't understand why you would be giving him anything at this point. What sort of scorecard are you using that you would give to him instead of giving to me? I'm the one that kind of deserves the rewards, but he's getting a party I don't understand. You ever find yourself in a spot where you look at other people and God seems to be blessing them more than he's blessing you in an area where you would like to be blessed? I think we've all done that. And as soon as we start comparing ourselves to them, it drives fear in our lives. We become incredibly afraid that if God isn't using my scoreboard, then I don't know how to get from him the things that I really want, which tragically is the same thing the prodigals want. His stuff. 
his stuff and not his heart. And comparison is a dangerous trap that performers easily fall into. And then there's the fourth pitfall. It's dissatisfaction. That there's never enough and it's never good enough and it's never over and you got to keep you got to keep striving and you got to keep working and you cannot rest. And dissatisfaction is marked by an inability to celebrate. I think it's clear in this story that the father would have celebrated and thrown a party for his oldest son anytime he wanted, like at the drop of a hat. That whole bit where he's like, you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. That's not because he asked and his dad said no. It's because he never asked. And he never asked because he couldn't celebrate and he couldn't celebrate because he didn't know how. He didn't know when the work was done so the party could start. Look, I struggle with this one. I identify with all five of these red flags on some level, but this is the worst one for me. I'm a terrible celebrator. And I know I'm doing that. I know that this is alive in me when there are no finish lines in whatever I'm pursuing. When there are no markers along the way where I can sit back and be grateful for what God has done. And if you struggle with that too, if you're one of these people like me who just tends to define yourself and find your identity in your performance so much that you got to keep moving forward and forward and forward and forward. And how in the world could I be happy that we're here when I know that we could get there? And when we get there, why in the world would I be happy about getting there? Because we could get to here and I can't be happy there. And there's always more out ahead and you got to go, 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 go. And I want to tell you this morning, if that's you, if you struggle to celebrate, you're probably more of a performance addict than you realize. And there's nothing wrong with being driven and there's nothing wrong with working hard with every gift God's placed inside of you to create a better future for yourself and the world. But if you you cannot find rest and peace in the goodness of God along the way. If you can't genuinely look around you and be excited and thankful for all the beauty God has placed into your life along the journey, then your soul is in trouble because you might just be missing the whole big idea of your walk with God. And the fifth symptom of older brotheritis is superiority. I think the single biggest reason that older brother could not bring himself to walk into that party is that he knew if he showed up and put his arm around his little brother, that would be extending grace to somebody who didn't deserve it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't extend grace and forgiveness to somebody who hadn't earned it because if he did that, it would mean his performance didn't count for very much. Because see, if bad behavior can't cut you off from love and grace, then good behavior can't earn love and grace. And something inside this older brother just bristled at the idea that he could not be good enough, that he could not all on his own and by his own power earn the love of his father. He hated it because that's what he'd been trying to do his whole life. And so he couldn't walk into the party and extend that olive branch because it would mean his striving didn't count. And I think, again, this is a struggle probably a lot of us in this room have. We would never say it out loud because we know it's rude to say it out loud, but something deep down inside our souls looks at our own stories and our own track records and believes that we deserve the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the blessings of God more than those people do. And we're wrong. We couldn't be more wrong. None of us deserve it at all. That's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it Grace, the fact that God gives it because he loves us, not because we earned it. And if we miss that, 
Oh, you guys, if we miss that, we miss out on the relationship and the connection to the creator for which we were created. And I know there are a lot of us in this room. Again, I'm right there with you. There are a lot of us who are performers. We try real hard to get it 100% right 100% of the time. But why we do it matters. And so if you can walk away with only one thing, if you remember anything I said this morning, let it be this. God is far more interested in your relationship with him than your performance for him. That's so freeing to stop believing that our bad behavior can cut us off from God or that our good behavior has to earn his love, to stop believing that there's some number of hoops we have to jump through or boxes we have to check in order for God's grace to be real in our lives, to stop believing that our performance is where meaning or hope or grace or peace or the future are found. They're not. They're found in the outrageous, reckless love of God. God is far more concerned with your relationship with him than your performance for him. So here's my challenge to everybody this morning, especially all you out there who are, who are like me, who suffer from older brotheritis. It's a, it's a two-fold challenge. Number one, ask yourself why you do what you do. Take like a deep look at your own heart and your own motivation and then be honest with yourself and maybe ask some other people. That's never fun, but it's usually enlightening. Ask some other people where these symptoms of older brotheritis are showing up in you. Which one of these red flags, which one of these attitudes is alive inside your soul and on display inside your life? Like, what is it for you? Is it entitlement? Resentment? Comparison? Dissatisfaction? Superiority? Some mix of those, where are those things showing up in your thought patterns and the mental maps by which you're navigating the universe? That's step one. Take a deep, if uncomfortable, look at your soul and figure out where you are living like the older brother. Because again, one of the most dangerous things in the world is to be lost without knowing that you're lost. So figure out where you're lost. And then step two, to begin curing your older brother-itis to begin moving away from this place where you think God's concerned about your performance for him into a place of peace where you understand God's concerned about your relationship with him. To start killing off these ugly attitudes that live inside of you. Here's my challenge to all of you. I dare you to do it. Take one step this week to extend grace to somebody who doesn't deserve it at all. To show love to someone who is hard to love. To give something to someone who doesn't deserve even a little bit, the gift that you've given them. Because the thing is, when we begin to do that, when we begin to give away grace that people have done nothing to deserve, we begin to actually understand what God has done for us. When we give undeserved grace to others, we find the freedom that comes from accepting it for ourselves. Like as we give it away in the same way that God gives it away, we realize that hope and peace and beauty are found in the love of God. And we find this soul level connection to him. And so this week, be honest about where you see entitlement, resentment, comparison, dissatisfaction and superiority inside yourself, where you see this performance addiction alive in you, and then take a step to kill it by giving grace to somebody who's hard to give grace to, by giving grace to somebody who doesn't deserve it at all. Because I think if we do that, as we do that, we'll find ourselves more deeply connected to the heart of the Father, and we'll find ourselves with a bigger, better vision 
of who he is and how recklessly, outrageously he loves us despite our performance, not because of it. And that changes everything. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, we come before you and we confess. We confess that in moments of our lives, we've all been prodigals. We've all chased the world and, and run away from you. We confess, too, that we've all been performance addicts. We've all tried to be self-righteous, to earn our keep, to, to earn your love, to earn your blessings. Lord, would you forgive us for that? Would you help us today walk out of here with the absolute peace that comes from knowing that we are who you say we are? Would you help us look in a mirror and see what you see when you look at us so that we're not prodigals and we're not performers, but we are beloved sons and daughters of God and you fill us up so much with that love that we can walk out the doors of this place and pour it out over all the people we crash into, all the people out there who are prodigals, all the people out there who are performers who are desperately yearning to breathe the oxygen of your love. Let us share that love and live in that love every moment of our lives. Thank you for being a good, good father. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.